RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. So I'm reading from a stuff headline here. Auckland councillor complains about pro-Māori posters encouraging use of te reo in the workplace. And that story concerns sensitivities around some posters in a workplace at the Auckland uh, Council. And the story is about Morris Williamson, who complained about them. And I've asked him on to our program this morning to explain, well, what happened, the circumstances and the reaction about, I guess, a political poster, some might say, in the lunchroom. Morris Williamson joins me. Thank you for coming on. It sounds kind of small. Thank you very much. You know, it's something in the lunchroom. It's sounds like a very small thing. But okay, what what happened here? Well, um, first of all, the, the the headline, as with most stuff you'll find in the media, was misleading. It wasn't right. to do with Te Reo. I didn't have a problem if someone was wanting to learn the language or not. It was to do with a whole lot of the decolonization that was on the poster about white man stealing your property, fight back. Uh, learn about the injustices. Learn about the Declaration of Independence, and so on. Don't uh, be cut. Don't be sidetracked by all of the uh, Pakeha lies about what happened to us, and so on. And they were sticking that on the fridge and the dishwasher and other bits where we all go to have our lunch. Everybody, yeah. all the councillors go. Now I looked at this stuff and I thought, well, I think that is blatantly political, uh, and. I just want to check, are we all allowed to put up some stuff? Because I would put up my uh, anti-decolonization or my anti-co-governance or a whole range of other things that would piss a whole lot of the the wokey lovelies off just as much as this was pissing me off. Right. So I did some checking, and originally it was, oh, well, you know, the staff have got a right to put up stuff what they like. So I just said, well, let's get this clear. As long as it's – I'd prefer it was neutral and that none of us could put anything up there. Um, because otherwise we could put up some really bizarre and weird and wacky things that are really upset you. But if it's not neutral and if the staff are allowed to put up stuff, given that they're using very expensive coloured ink printers to print these things, because they kept printing them every time I kept ripping them down. Okay, Uh, right. So I said, well, first of all, we've got an edict out at council that's all black and white. We don't use colour because it was costing us millions for our printing budget. I mean, you have no idea what Auckland Council's just printing budget a year was because colour is sort of you know, up to 20 cents a page. And Do you we give printing. us an idea, Morris, because, you know, this is all really sort of interesting I, I information. I'm sorry, I don't have the book and I don't want to quote a number. But I it's can't big. Remember, but it was, it, the decision was taken before I got elected. Okay. Uh, yeah. The edict came out. We got a print in black and white, uh, double-sided, so we save paper. And right. certainly colour colour's a lot, lot, lot cheaper. Now, I, I mean, people listening to this were going, come on, a page in colour and a page in black and white. But if you multiply them by the millions of the pages that are the documents we're producing, it's a huge amount of money. And they always kill you on the uh, ink cartridges. So I said, okay. So I said to the senior management, it went up as far as the person in charge of the governance of the whole place said, if the place is neutral, then we should all respect that. And if it's not neutral, uh, then I'll just start sticking up some of my stuff and I promise you it will cause a meltdown. It yeah. will cause a meltdown. They didn't want to go there, right? They didn't want to go there. Oh, no. Oh, no. They immediately sort of felt like, well, it could be their side, but not yours. And they didn't think that sounded very good. So they decided, then the edict went out. It's to be neutral. No one's to put up posters anywhere. The staff have been told they've got their own staff bulletin board somewhere around the back, nowhere where we go. And they can put stuff up on that if they wish. So is that still a problem? 
Is that I still mean, appropriate, even to put it on a staff billboard? I've seen a few images of the posters you're talking about, and some of them, well, they have quite, you know, strident in your face, yeah. you know, lines in them. So I just said that that's not what I believe. Mm. I'm an elected councillor, and I'm not going to have propaganda shoved in front of me from one side of a debate unless we're able to, let's have an open season and we can all see who can put the best posters up or who can tear the other ones down the quickest, which would be just a simply, in, you know, infantile. So let's just make it a neutral bloody, and it is more, much more than a sort of a smoker room. It's a big area where you can do your food, cook it in the microwave or whatever, tables where you can sit and eat. It's sort of a small cafeteria. And the, the neutrality of it, I just thought was important. So I just stood my ground. What's hilarious is the um, is the sort of trolls that have come out from under the logs and screaming and yelling, "You're a racist!" Um, actually, uh, the definition, Paul, for me of I grew up in Matamata, played rugby with a lot of Maori guys on my team. The lead singer of the band I played in was a Maori. Uh, I always thought racism was where you treated people differently based on their race. And I'm opposed to that. I think that is disgraceful. I want everyone to be treated the same and only treated based on their need if it's going to be prioritised. I don't want people to be given any special privileges in favour or any derogatory stuff against them just because of their race. But I found out recently that that itself is racist, Yeah, <laughs> that you're racist if you want everybody to be treated the same. Okay, so um, who, who was putting these posters up and, and do you think it was – on the understanding by them that this would be approved of or there wouldn't be any pushback? Is that uh, sort of no, the unwritten rule? No, I think from what I can gather, it was some staff members and uh, that are paid, you know, secretarial staff to do work for us. And I think they thought they might get up the nostrils of a few councillors. Well, they got up one lot of nostrils, yep. my yep. big ones. And I, I just thought... You know, take it take it away from here. You know, what if I put re-elect national banners all around the room? It would be just a meltdown. And so I, I get really angry at that. I, I'll give you an example of how bad it's got. Um, there's a debate going on at Auckland Council now, and we've gone out to consultation, and hopefully your listeners will be making a submission on it, about whether we have Maori seats at Auckland Council. We know about that. We've talked. Now, we to already the... have an independent Maori statutory board. Yeah, that's which, right. Mm. Which has all the powers, voting powers on each committee. I have two of them on my committee. They have overturned some of the votes where they've been very close by one, and then the two IMSB have voted it down. So... Maori have representation. But listen to what I found interesting. I said, I'm a big fan of democracy. And if we are going to go to either Maori wards or not, it should go out as a referendum so the public can have their say. That was immediately branded as racist. And immediately several councillors said, you do that and all the dreadful stuff will come out of the trees and the filthy stuff and so on. And you won't get a reasonable outcome out of it. Now, I find anybody who doesn't have faith in the general public, of course, there'll be some nasties. Believe me, when I'm on the other side of the debate, there's nasties come at me all the time. I actually mm. love it. There's something really wrong with my character. But every time nasties have a crack at me on Twitter, I feel good. And if no one hits back, I think, well, that didn't work very well. So I'll put the something out more sort of robust to see if I can shake them out of the tree. Yeah. I, I said something quite amazing to the Herald in 2002 when National was floundering and got just on 20.9% of the vote. I said the problem is that Sue Bradford didn't hate us. 
And I meant that at the time because Sue Bradford holds a totally different set of views to what I do. If she doesn't have any problem with nationalists, as she said, or who cares about them, they're irrelevant. I find that really cutting. Yeah. But if she comes out and really smacks me around, it's disgraceful and evil. I think this is brilliant. This is exactly you're on the radar. Good. You're on the radar. You're yeah. on the radar. You're up for consideration. Then people will make their decision. Do I go with the Williamson extremist views of the world, or do I go with Sue Bradford's moderate views of the world? They can make that decision. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's interesting that headline I read out at the start only concentrated on the language part of it. So th- correct. And, and remember, I, I've got a pretty damn good track record. I've actually said to a few of the of the wokes out there, uh, oh, let me tell you about my record and see how much you've done. In the early nineties, when I first became minister of broadcasting. I set up 23 iwi Māori radio stations across the country. I funded them out of broadcasting money. I went to the cabinet and got decision, and we funded them and set them up and got them going. I also got approached by uh, my FM in Auckland that was going bankrupt and couldn't run and said, if you'll front-end load us with three years of that funding, not one, we can actually make a go of it and make a successful radio, and we won't want any more after that. That'll be They're it. a top brand. They're still a top so, brand. So I did it. I took a paper to the cabinet, front-ended funded my FM, and they're a top brand with a big audience. Cool. Now, I set up to Reo Whakapuaki Irirangi, which you all know is Te Pāho. So I set that up as a Māori broadcasting funding agency, and it funds a whole lot of television and news and so on news and current affairs, both on mainstream and on Maori television. So I've got a pretty damn good track record on to protecting te reo and so on. What I don't like is having the sort of the decolonization stuff shoved down your throat about my white guilt and what we've done so evil in the past so many hundred years. And if it wasn't for us, uh, this great place would be a great nation. I, I find that just angry. So, so it was nothing to do with Te Reo. That's how stuff put yeah. up as the headline. It's ironic. You just mentioned um, Tamango Paho, the radio stations. Wasn't one of the um, the lines in one of the posters or, or some of the advice that you got back, I don't know, I saw it in the story somewhere, that you should uh, watch more Maori TV and listen to more <laughs> Maori radio? Yeah, yeah. And the, and the irony of that is the one person who funded that, I mean, there was no Māori broadcasting agency. I set it up in the mid-1990s, and it was difficult because the cabinet I had then was saying, oh, I don't like this, and you can imagine people like Johnny Banks and so on weren't very much in favour of it, and there were others. And I managed to get it through on a pretty tight sort of vote that we set it up and we funded them accordingly. So I would have thought of the one person out there, people who are interested in the promotion of Te and it's uh, being able to keep it alive and functioning, would have said, well, Williamson did a bloody lot to actually help. Uh, so I thought I had some pretty good credentials, but they all went out the window as soon as I questioned all the decolonization rubbish. You've been around a long time, and you're kind of back in the saddle, the political game, albeit at, um, at uh, Auckland City level. Is something all a bit absurd about this now? Do you think it's sort of peak peak absurdity are we approaching that because it sort of sounds like a bit of a clown show doesn't it it does and i tell you what makes me so angry about the whole race thing instead of us sitting down with a what does success look like for maoridom in the future 
you know, lower uh, participation in the crime statistics, lower number in the jails, higher performance in the schools, better academic outcomes, lower uh, people visiting uh, the hospital with serious injuries and, and so on. We, you could sit down and write what does success look like within half a day. You could do it for any population group and you could say, right, now let's start putting policies in place that work actively towards achieving those laudable outcomes. And I would be big fan of it. The problem is that the debate that has, I think, been spurred by the, the radicals like Willie Jackson has literally driven a huge wedge in our society. And I know people who are now thinking more and more that they're probably racist when they never were and they never thought that way. Oh, dear. And yeah. so I think it's been damaging as hell to our nation. Uh, for example, the name. Let, let's just go with the name, you know, Aotearoa. And I keep saying, right, you want to change our name. Well, I've just spent four years in the United States as the Consul General. I stood in both wine shops, butcher shops and supermarkets and on a regular basis, I heard Americans walking up to the to the shop assistant and saying, where can I find uh, New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs? Or mm. in the butcher shop, do you have New Zealand lamb? No, we've got Argentine. No, we don't want Argentinian lamb. Have you got New Zealand lamb? No. Now, New Zealand has spent billions building a brand name called New Zealand. I mean, I don't care. It's from bloody old Zealand back in Holland or whatever. It's our name. We've come up with it. I mean, what's Australia? It's a name. It's, you know, Australis Borealis or something from the, yeah. the original. But we've got a name now, and I tell you, that brand name is just worth so much. And I don't believe you're ever going to hear someone in California walk into a wine shop and say, you got any Aotearoa Sauvignon Blanc? They won't be able to pronounce it. I Correct. can tell you now. They won't, they so, won't even so, be able to... To know how to pronounce Let's not it. be silly. You know, if you want to call it Aotearoa when you're talking to someone, go to it. I don't care. Yeah. One of the decisions I had to make many years ago when I was Minister for Lands was whether an H was put into the word Wanganui or not. I remember that one. It was yeah. on the TV and so on, and I had to make this big decision. Well, I made the decision, and that was do what you bloody like. Yeah. Put an H in if you want to and don't if you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, <laughs> no one fell off their chair. The world didn't go crazy. No, okay. not that I noticed, but that's that's how radical I can get from time to time. You know, just just a quick couple of questions because, like I said, you're sort of back in the game. How's that been? It's very frustrating, and it's so different. When you're in Wellington, you get to be in government because your party has a majority of the votes. So when a vote goes to the house, you as minister don't even need to be in the house, knowing the whips will be voting, and you've got it. But in council, the first difference is everybody thinks the mayor is sort of a city version of a prime minister, but he's not because the mayor gets elected separately and then 20 councillors, and those 20 councillors could all vote against whatever the mayor's trying to do. So for the idea of people saying, well, why isn't the mayor doing this and why isn't the mayor doing that? Uh, his biggest problem is he's got to get at least 11 of the 20 votes in order to to actually do things. So I've seen, I mean, a good example of that is we we own $2.2 billion worth of Auckland Airport shares. It wasn't paying any dividend at all, so we were making nothing of it. We've had $12.5 billion of debt. So when we were servicing that $2.2 billion of debt as included in that lot, costing $130 million a year for just that airport shares, Wow. Uh, and if we sold them, we would reduce our uh, debt servicing by 130 million. So no dividend, 
no benefit, no one on the board, no say over Auckland Airport, but we could reduce our, our debt servicing by 130 million per annum if we sold them. We couldn't get the numbers. Just couldn't get the numbers. Why? Why? Well, people, well, one of the councillors said, I won't vote for this because that airport is a really important link between New Zealand and the Pacific Islands, where I'm from, and Pacific Islanders value that link. And I th- sat there thinking, go no, one's, no one's talking about getting rid of the airport. <laughs> We're just changing the names on some of the share certificates to somebody else has their name. We had n- nobody on the board. Even And then there was a suggestion, well, why don't we buy more shares so we get to a point where we do get a board? Well, they're really lacking an understanding of how the Companies Act work. The Companies Act says that if you are a director of a company, you must act in the best interest of that company, not their shareholder. Yeah, yeah. So it wouldn't have benefited us any rate. So there are a whole lots of decisions that come up on a weekly basis, and I look, oh, well, that'll be some, oh, <laughs> that's nuts. Of course we'll do that. And it gets voted down. I think, what? Where did that come from? Is the council woke? Uh, it's a 50-50 split. Right. It's a fifth. There, there are some like me that you, if anyone thinks I'm woke, they've really mistimed their aim a bit. But, um, and there's others like me, but it's it's a 50 50. There are some that are absolutely anti the motor car. They want nothing but cycleways, walkways, uh, get rid of a whole range of the things that, well, for example, my constituents in the Howick Ward. Let, let me just give you a bit of a run on this. The Howick Ward is bigger than any other city in New Zealand other than Christchurch or Wellington. Just my ward, okay? It's bigger than Hamilton, Tauranga, you know, Palmerston. It's got 167,000 people just in this ward. Now, any one of those cities smaller than us have 15 or 16 councillors and a mayor. We've just got the two councillors, okay? Here, if you look at the last census, 92.8% of people in this ward use the motor car as their prime form of transport. Right. Okay. 92.8. I'm going to round that, let's say, to 93. Yeah. yeah. That means the 7% goes to all of the buses and trains and cycles and ferries and walk to work and so on. Walk to, walk to work actually was next biggest. So, in the idea, there are people that just say, well, we should just be spending a fortune on cycleway building and nothing on the roading. So, you can be stuck in your motor car, jammed, not moving, not going anywhere. I've come out of the council building in Albert Street put on my GPS to come back to Pakaranga, and I can promise you, because I've had other councillors in the car, I said, look at that, time to Pakaranga, one hour 45. Wow, yeah, okay. And it's a 15-minute drive if you come at the right time of day. Yeah, and overwhelming numbers, like you said. Overwhelming no, numbers of people using the motor car. Yeah. But that, it, it, and you know what You know what? some of the councillors' viewers, while we accept that, but we think that in order to save the planet, we should be forcing oh. them out of their car. Have they really? Have they really bought that one? Have they? Have they really bought it? Well, I, I try to get them to keep playing that little clip on YouTube from Constantine Kissam, who just says that in Britain's case we're two point seven percent of all emissions. In New yep. Zealand's case, we're only point one seven of them. And he just says if if we Britain and I say if we we New Zealand disappeared into the ocean tomorrow and we're ne- we're never seen again, just gone. It would make no difference to climate change whatsoever. Climate change will be determined in Asia and in Latin America, where the huge growth and the huge populations are all striving to get something that we've had and they haven't, and that's prosperity. 
And we can't and deny so, them that, can we? That no one can. I don't think we can deny them that. I think we can't say, well, we've had it. Well, damn you. And then Constantine Kissam says, which one of you would be prepared to have your government come around your suburbs next week and rip out your baths with the hot and cold running water and your flushable toilet and make you sit on a long drop out in the backyard? None of you would do. So why is it the people of China and the people of India and the people of Latin America can't have that as well? And he's right. But we've somehow got people here. We've got politicians in the parliament who say our policy would solve climate change. Yeah, but they wouldn't give it up themselves, would they? No, but just just remember what they're saying. It would solve climate change. Now, no, if, we had a numbers, big, no. if we had a big glass cylinder up above New Zealand going up into the stratosphere and it was just our atmosphere we could do controlling, I'd say, well, okay, what we do just is ours atmosphere. It's only one atmosphere for the entire planet. And even if we were to disappear and go altogether, it's about three weeks of China's coal-fired power station growth. So we are dying on the altar of purity, saying to the motorists, get out of your cars, we'll turn, we'll close streets off. When they put the busway through the Pamua roundabout there, they actually closed one of the lanes in either direction for cars. It's chaotic trying to go through there in the morning. Have a look off to the side, and there's big double-decker buses that are damn empty. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and, um, and I think they kind of enjoy that. Well, they to, to see people they, they, suffering they've, from. They've drunk the Kool Aid. They believe they're going to save the planet. And frankly, as I said, if we stopped everything, just remember, if we stopped it, we just said transport stops tomorrow. All of the engines that heat things at boilers and companies yeah, stop. We stop everything. We just stopped everything. We've got rid of agriculture. We just shot all of our animals and so on. If we stopped everything, it's around about three weeks. I understand of the growth in China's coal-fired power stations alone. So let's let's do what we can. I'm a fan of if there's something that's sensible towards helping with reducing our emissions, that's good, and an emissions trading scheme that makes us sensible in the Nuclear way Nuclear power. But, uh, well, there's a chance of that. There's other countries bringing that back right now. Yeah. Just a, a, one quick question before you go. You must be kind of enjoying, you know, the run-up, especially now through to the 14th of October. Any observations? that you would like to make about this general election, given that you've been in them before, but you're kind of, you know, you're on the side for this one? Yeah, well, I'm never on a side. I've got a phenomenal database in my computer, which has got history of how many months out and weeks out and days out for each of those elections and oh, wow. where okay. the trend lines ran. Because I've got a mathematics degree, I like to do this stuff. Okay. So I've always tracked this thing called the death spiral. In the last couple of weeks, what happens is a lot of voters to say, my party isn't going to make it. I've concluded that. I've looked at it. And so they en masse make a decision to change their vote to try and get the best possible configuration that will minimize the harm relative. So at the last election, 420,000 national party voters, that is from the 2017 election, yep. decided nationals vacated the the playing field and is gone. Only way I can get the minimal damage is to make sure Labor doesn't have to rely on the Greens. And so a huge chunk of them voted Labor, 420,000. Yeah. And Labor got a 50% margin uh, number of votes. First time it's ever happened in New Zealand since the 1951 waterfront strike. First time any party has broken 50%. Well, I didn't First know time. that. Yeah, that long. First time. Yeah. Okay. So what's going to happen now is the death spiral for Labor is going to kick in quite soon. Already has at their fifty uh, twenty six, and they'll drop further. Yeah, um, I think ACT was doing exceedingly well until 
David Seymour made the foolish call to say, I might not form a government and you have to come to me with everything cap in hand. I just thought that looked, I, I, so it was a stupid thing to have said. And, and I think that's cost them a little bit of a thing. So here's my prediction. I think as we get closer and closer to the day, National Plus Act, I'm not sure quite where the boundary line between them will lie, but they'll get to the 63, 64 seats, which means they'll be able to govern in their own right. I think Winston will get over the line. I think he will get six, seven, maybe even eight seats. I think the Greens will do exceedingly well. Their vote is starting to grow already. And I think Labour will suffer that death spiral that National did last time. National did in 2002. Remember what National got in 2002? 20.9% of the vote. That's less than social credit got in 1981. That's incredible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, that's um, that's fascinating. It's uh, been uh, nice to have you on RCR, Morris Williamson. Thanks for coming on. Good to be with you. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.